Well, good morning, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, We, as uh, Chris mentioned, we are going to basically take questions today. One of the most awesome things that we get a chance to do as pastors at One Church is have conversations. And some of the greatest spiritual transformation comes out of a conversation. So we want to just kind of give you guys a preview of that today. And you're going to get to meet and hear from some of the people who are such a blessing to us, serving on staff and as volunteers. So this morning, just so you can see, I'm going to move out of the way here. Um... We've got Michael on the far left there in his Alabama shirt because he is a Crimson Tide fan. He, uh, Michael is our student pastor, so if you have a middle or a high schooler or you want to join us on a Wednesday night either to worship or to serve, Michael is kind of our point person, and he has a heart for students, so you're going to get to hear from kind of his perspective today. Uh, Kim Edmondson, you guys have probably heard from if you've been here for any length of time, but she is Chris's wife. She is such a blessing, and she has so much to offer in terms of insight and just heart for people, and so I'm grateful that she joined us on stage today. Uh, Dave has got a great perspective to share with us. Uh, Dave's been here for um, just a few years, really. He comes out of a faith that was completely against God for a season, and so you get to kind of see the perspective of someone who basically found faith at one church and has really uh, dove in in terms of learning about Jesus and learning about God and what the church has to offer. So you get kind of a first perspective from him. And then I serve as pastor of Groups and Next Steps, and so my role and my heart is all about conversation, and I just want to be another voice for conversation. So we're going to have a number on the screens this morning. We would love just any question you have. Nothing is off limits. Um, Go ahead and shoot us questions about um, what we do here as a church, if that's something that you've got some confusion about, who God is or whether the Bible's trustworthy, things that come up in conversation that you kind of want a spiritual answer to. And if we can't get, get it kind of covered in the moment we have here, just know that you have an open invitation to ask any of us um, to coffee, to lunch. We would love nothing more than to sit down and talk with you guys this morning. So with that being said, I'm going to throw out a couple of questions we got that we definitely want to attack first thing, and we're just going to watch as your questions come in. If you send us a text, all of us up here on stage can see it and read it, so we'll be able to actually kind of think through it and then give you guys an answer. That being said, we got a question really at the the, um, end of last week we get to to touch on, and it said, um, how do we figure out how to extend God's blessings? God says, be a blessing. And we say that every week. We say, go and be the church as we end a service. Well, how do you go and be the church if there are literally a million ways to be a blessing to others? What, what do I do? What does that look like? How would you guys answer that? Well, if, if there's a million ways to be a blessing to somebody, you just got to pick one and do it. Uh, it's, it's very easy to say, oh, I have all these opportunities, so I can pass this one up, pass this one up, pass this one up. In reality, we should just pick one and go do it. Uh, uh, there's a lot of ways to be a blessing, you know? Uh, offer help to your neighbor if you see him out mowing the grass, you know? Uh, <laughs> try not to flip the guy off as, as they cut you off, you know? Uh, <laughs> it, it could be as simple as, sorry, I'm a little rough around the edges. As, as Patrick said, uh, I used to be uh, an atheist for quite a while, and so I just kind of hold on to that as an excuse to be a little rough around the edges. So, um, I'm kind of a, uh, I, don't, I don't know what do you say I am, I guess a teaching pastor here, a volunteer yeah. pastor of some sorts. Uh, I used to be the student pastor, and uh, I stepped away so that Michael could come in, and, and he's doing a, f- a phenomenal job over there. Um, but yeah, uh, so just, just pick something. It's, it's every day you're going to see an opportunity that you could do something nice or kind uh, for someone, even if it's a perfect stranger. Just go do it. I would just add to that, good morning. Hi. Welcome. So glad you're here. Um, I would just add to that as well. I think sometimes when we, when we feel that, like, what do I do? Or how do I step out? Or how do I affect a change? Sometimes what I like to do is just turn it back around and look at it from my perspective. What would be meaningful to me? If someone were to do something for me, 
what would make me feel special? What would, what would be a blessing in my life? And then when I think of those things, to step forward and do that for someone else. Um, because sometimes it's, it's the littlest thing that we can think of that would mean so much to us. And so for us to have the opportunity to do that for someone else. And, you know, when we do something for someone, we don't have to come in with a banner that says one church on it and, you know, sing hymns and, and march around uh, speaking in Christian words and all of that. Just go in kindness and in love. The Bible says they will know that we are Christians, that we follow Christ by our love for one another. And that just doesn't mean Christians one another. That means everyone one another. My one-liner question is, is what breaks your heart? You know, if you have a place in your heart that's broken for a group of people because they need something, start there. And if you don't have a place you, you've got a broken heart, get around somebody who does and let them share that. Because if you will see life from their perspective, you'll see someone's needs um, where someone is just compelled to serve. Not only will you find a place to serve, you won't be able to get away from it. You won't be able to give it up. So. Second question we got is, um, says, I have a teenager and I think the stress is truly affecting my health. Do you have a book or verse that could help me um, with my teenager? Well, Patrick cornered me backstage, and he was like, you have a teenager, you have to answer this. So, um, yeah, teenagers, they're, uh, they are quite an adventure. Uh, they are a great joy, and they are also a great challenge. Um, I know in my teenager, I have a, my oldest son is 17. I can see moments of promise in him that will absolutely just make me stand in awe and wonder to see how God is working in him and how God has, he has his own relationship with God. And God has a plan for his life that really doesn't have anything to do with me. And then there are moments where he'll do something and I'll think, are you human? Do you, are you even like, hello? So, um, so I think for me as a mom, one of the challenges of being a teenager is not basing everything on performance, on my performance. Am I, am I doing good enough? Am I giving enough? Am I listening enough? Am I spending enough time? Um, because it doesn't all depend on me. It's a, it's a relationship with my child, not for my child. And there's a verse in Proverbs, um, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, that's a promise that the Lord gives us. When we train up our children, and notice that word train. It doesn't say, well, show them the way they should go or point them in the right direction. It says train. And training means, training takes time. Training takes discipline. Training means being intentional. And so when we train up a child in the way that they should go, we're, we're being very intentional about what we're teaching them and how we're teaching them and how we're living our lives. Because we can't live in an undisciplined way and expect our children to be disciplined and to have that focus and that passion for life. So as a parent, I just want to encourage you and say that we have a promise that says when we train them up the way the Bible tells us to and the way God tells us to, it says when they're old, they won't depart from it. I think part of that journey for them is searching and asking questions and testing limits and questioning authority and trying to fit in. But when they are old, God promises. Now, what does old mean? Hmm, I hope it means 18. <laughs> but just in case it doesn't, I'm hanging on to that promise that God says to me, you train them and I'm going to bring them up in the way that they should go. 
Uh, just to piggyback on that, you know, I was a student pastor for, for a few years, and uh, if this doesn't work, we do have a Bible verse, uh, Deuteronomy uh, 21, 18 through 21. It says, suppose a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father and mother, even though it disciplines him. In such case, father and mother must take the son to the elders of the court. Say, I have a son who is a drunkard and a glutton, and then all the men must stone him to death. No, I'm just playing. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Uh, uh, no, but seriously, uh, one of the best things you can do with, uh, with, with your teenagers uh, is I'm going to point towards Michael uh, all day long. Uh, Michael has a great group of, uh, of small group leaders. See, Michael's the, the student pastor, but really the small group leaders are the pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he pours into them so that they can actually partner with you uh, and to, to target your son. Uh, one of the best things you can do is get other adults who are healthy, who can say the things that you're going to say. Um, but it always comes off different whenever it's coming from another adult. So uh, uh, surround your kid with other adults, and you can start with going to, uh, to, to Michael with uh, our, our Wednesday night services for students. And, and I would say, as I've dealt with students, and uh, my background is, is I have uh, three siblings, and one of them is um, a difficult child, uh, and, and she still is, and... and She's in her twenties now, but but as I've as I've dealt with students and I've seen those kind of those students that that I think we're talking about that are difficult. Uh, usually, when I see the student that's the most difficult, I see the student with the most potential, because usually it's because they won't let go of what they see. Uh, and my hope for them is through what we do as student ministries that they'll get a glimpse of the gospel. And uh, the last time we talked we talked about serving. I'm kind of going back there a little bit, but. We talked about the Good Samaritan. He's going down the road, and he sees a guy in the ditch, and that's what broke his heart. And as it broke his heart, like, he, he couldn't let go of that. And, I, and I'm praying, and I'm hoping for your student that they will see, like, the, God will give them a vision of something that breaks their heart. Uh, and as they get that vision, and, and they're hard-headed, and they're stubborn, and they don't do anything anybody says, um, that maybe they'll love somebody that's stuck in a ditch and that's literally dying without them, and they'll take them to a hotel, and they'll pay their bills, and, and they'll see them... Uh, maybe even in a relationship with Jesus because they wouldn't let go and they wouldn't give up. Um, so that's my prayer for your student, and, and I hope that's, um, that's kind of where we're going with student ministry. And I just want to encourage you with that is, is that there's hope. They're going to be stubborn a long time, but God gave them that for a reason. Like God made them intentional uh, on purpose, for purpose, with a purpose. Um, so, yeah, inc- all the encouragement. I know it's difficult, um, but God's got it. Michael, along that same line, somebody asked a question, what's Fuge? What's camp? So talk about your heart for that as well. Okay, so I grew up in church, and this is why I love Fuge. I grew up in church. Uh, I walked an aisle and prayed a prayer when I was young, and that was cool. When I got baptized, that was fine. And uh, I think my parents did a really good job at walking me through that, making sure I knew the answers. And then when I was 13, I went to camp for the first time. And as I was at camp... My relationship with Jesus went from, I can't do wrong because I don't want to get spanked because my parents were avid spankers and, and I'm for it. Like, it helped me. It made me who I am today. And I think that was good. But, but in that moment, that Thursday night, it, it changed uh, from, I can't do wrong because I don't want to get spanked to that I can't do wrong because God lives inside of me. Like, the creator of the universe loves me enough to live inside of me and have a relationship with me. And so everything changed. And then a few years later, I felt like God called me to ministry at Fuge. And what Fuge is, is Fuge is a camp where we get to go away. And we get to have time with students and with other adults that are going to say the th- same things that you're saying to your student. That it's at camp, so it's cool. Like, they've got this shirt or they're doing this weird thing and we're doing weird dances and singing s- stupid songs. 
but it clicks for a lot of students there because they're not at home, really. So with that, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to have some great songs, and then we're going to go out during the day, and we're going to serve for about six hours a day, and we're just going to... Uh, try to find areas that they have set up for us at camp, just kind of whether we're going to um, go share the gospel with people that we don't know or love on people in nursing homes or hang out with kids at parks and rec or just those kind of things. So we have an opportunity to serve uh, in the camp environment. So it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be lots of fun. Uh, so much fun. I, I've worked it for f- five years. Um, so I'm, we're going to camp, and then I love it so much that I'm going to go to camp for a week and, and work it. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you, Michael. I knew you had a big heart for that. I'm glad we got to share that. Um, Another kind of challenging question says, what does the Lord's favor and protection look like? I mean, how do we enjoy the Lord's favor and protection and blessings uh, when there are Christians facing death for their beliefs in parts of the world? That's a tough one. Um, let Let me say a couple of things. There's a tension in the Christian life, and sometimes it takes a while to get to the place where you understand this, but... Um, the thing that I go back to when I think about Christians facing death and about um, blessings or about God's provision is there is something overwhelmingly amazing about the fact that we have been um, redeemed by Christ, that Christ loved us so much that he gave us his own son. And usually when you get in a tough spot and there's nothing else to look at, the Bible's advice is to go to that thing. Um, so much so that what it says about Jesus even, it says that Jesus for the joy that was set before him. For the end goal set before Jesus, he endured the cross. So Jesus himself faced death, but he faced it because there was joy in it, because he knew the outcome was amazing. And for some of us, sometimes the only thing we have to latch on to is the next life, is the next thing. Um, But beyond that, there is so much joy just in knowing Christ is with us. And not only did Jesus model this, because sometimes he's... Sometimes he... um, seems like somebody we can't be, we can't replicate, or we can't um, be like. But beyond Jesus being that person, Paul himself, who was another guy who was planting churches, who faced death over and over and over, so, so much so that he had a laundry list of stonings and executions and shipwrecks that he endured for the cause of Jesus. But he says the same thing. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And then he says, if God didn't spare Jesus to save us, if God loved us so much that he gave his son, knowing his son would die for us, then we have to trust that he is always good, and we have to trust that there's joy and there's strength in just being with him and in, in having his companionship, God speaking into our lives in this life. Um, I think we, we confuse a lot of, uh, uh, quote-unquote, God's blessings on us. Um, I don't think the American dream is God's blessings. Uh, I, I don't think, because um, the reason I say that is, that would mean that God doesn't bless a lot of people. Um, and then also, if, you, if we turn to Matthew 5, and this is something I always come back time and time again uh, to, it's, it's this thing called uh, the Beatitudes. And it's funny because it says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Uh, God blesses those who mourn. God blesses those who are humble. God blesses those who are hunger and thirst for justice. He never once says God blesses those who are rich. God blesses those who have 12 cards. God blesses those who have a nice house. And all these are great things, and we should definitely be appreciative of them. But we, we need to take a step back and realize that, wait, just because so-and-so has a nicer house or just because so-and-so has a nice car doesn't necessarily mean God's blessing them more. Or just because I have nicer things doesn't mean God's blessing me more. Um, because in reality, those who are poor, those who are humble, those who 
thirst and hunger for justice, those are who are truly blessed. And to your point, most people who are rich are a lot less happy, even if you just look at secular surveys, um, than those who kind of sit in the middle in terms of economics, not starving poor, but who don't have a ton. They're usually a lot more happy, a lot more at peace. Um, We like to say in church world, rich people problems. We have rich people problems sometimes, things that annoy us, drive us crazy, or take up all of our days. And sometimes it's a blessing to be out with some of those. Um, man, these are good questions. So, anybody want to read this next one that we got via text? Yeah. Uh, so, the one that, I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to answer this one. How, how do you deal with an unclear path forward? Sometimes I feel like I'm stuck in a holding pattern in life. I, I feel like God showed me the most about how he made me when I was actively serving in the local body. The, the local body, the church, is not complete if all the members of the body are not involved and engaged. Much so like the human body, if you've got a part of your body that's not involved or not engaged, lots is going to go wrong, lots of problems are there. Not to say that you're going to find your spot to serve your first time. Um, so this person that asked this question, I would ask you, where are you serving? And if, and if it's not helping you feel fulfilled and it's not completing you, it's not meeting that need and that desire that God has given you to be fulfilled, then you need to find somewhere else to serve. And we would love to get you plugged in there. But if you're just sitting in a seat, um, I don't know that you're ever going to find it. If you just come and you're hanging out on Sunday, that's great. And I, and I want for that to happen. Um, as you serve one, I want you to sit in one. But if you're not serving, you're not fulfilled. Like, like, if you never used your leg, eventually all the muscles would atrophy and it wouldn't be any good anymore. Uh, and so often that happens to Christians in the church, is that we just sit around and we atrophy and we're not using the gifting that God has given us for a reason. If he made you on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. Um, so that would be my encouragement is, is talk to us, get involved. I'll jump in on that one as well, because I think sometimes, you know, we, we come to a season in life where we encounter new things, um, where maybe we have a difficult decision to make. Maybe it's in our marriage. Maybe it's in a job. Maybe it's in a relationship or a friendship. And we're looking for direction. We want to know, God, what do you want me to do? And how do you want me to proceed? And sometimes it's hard to know what is God saying, or it's hard to discern what is God saying and what are my emotions doing? How do I separate my emotions from what I feel like God might say? And so in the book of Psalms, chapter 119, which is the longest uh, chapter in the Bible, and starting in verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a guide for my path. I have promised it once and I will promise it again. I will obey what you say, what your word says. And so the first place I want to encourage you to go if you are looking for direction is go to God's word. Because it clearly tells us that his word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Now, I know Chris has said this before. Notice it doesn't say it's a tractor beam that pulls us in a certain direction and shines light for a mile ahead of us. It's like a lantern. It's a light that we hold out. And little by little, step by step, As we read God's word and as we pray and as we seek what he has to say, he tells us he will be faithful to give us that direction. 
But notice that second verse. It says, I've promised it once and I'll promise it again. I will obey. Part of us finding the way and having that light for our path is obeying what God says for us to do. And in his word, God says, be in my word and pray to me and spend time with me. And so when we obey that, then God reveals his will to us. Um, it says, your laws are my treasure, so your word is my treasure, and, you, and they are my heart's delight. And that's verse 111 of that chapter. And I want to go back because I missed this one. Verse 109, and this is where probably you might be feeling. My life constantly hangs in the balance, but I will not stop obeying your instructions. So if you feel that way, if you feel like things are unclear, if you feel like you're looking for God's direction, stay in the word. Because notice it says, my life feels like it hangs in the balance, but I won't stop obeying. I won't stop listening. I won't stop following. I won't stop looking ahead. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit. The Lord promises to be your light and your path and to give you direction. Uh, My friend. Uh, Luther Ramsey, who's much, much older than I am, um, he, <laughs> uh, he, he always uh, said something that, that just really sticks in my head. You know, there, there's a lot of little one-liners that, you know, and, and if, it's, if it's memorable, it's portable, and so you can take it with you. So uh, what he always says is if it's not against God's word or against God's character, then it's in his will. Uh, and so if you have, you know, as an example, you're trying to figure out what guy you want to date, um, ladies out there, uh, and, and you're looking and you say, okay, this guy's not against God's word or his character. This guy's not against God's word or his character. This guy's not against God's word or his character. Choose the hotter one. I mean, you know, because all three of them are in his will. So, so, so the reality, just exactly what she was saying, uh, what Kim was saying here was look at his word and look at his character. And if it's not breaking any of those, then, then by all means jump on that. If you don't mind, I'd like to read the next one. Yeah. Um, I love this question because it kind of goes along with what they were talking about a little bit. It says, how would you define a lukewarm Christian? Uh, God said he would rather be hot or cold, or, or rather be hot or cold. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, something about speaking out of the mouth. So the b- big question is, what is it like to, or what, what is a, a lukewarm Christian? And I would say, uh, the number one definition of a lukewarm Christian is someone that their sole purpose about being a Christian is the get-out-of-hell-free card, you know, I purchased my fire insurance. Um, so little uh, uh, is act in the Bible is actually about heaven and hell. Uh, in fact, and, and I would dare say that Jesus or God, you know, didn't put us on this planet just so that we could pass this test to go to heaven uh, or to not pass it and go to hell afterwards. We are put here for a reason. We are put here uh, to be a light. We are put here to be the salt of the earth. And, and I think, you know, the best way to be a cold Christian or a hot Christian is to really dive in uh, and answer the question, what breaks your heart? And if you're not willing to, to dive in and do something about it, then you are a lukewarm Christian, in my opinion. Um, further, uh, we got another question from the same person, actually, about the, the, old, you know, about the, the stories of the Old Testament. Are they true? Are they false? Are they fables? You know? um, and, and what's a good answer in that? Because you get asked that a lot. In the end, it, in my opinion, it doesn't matter. Uh, they, they all teach us something about God. They, they're all stories that, that depict a part of his character. And ultimately, the goal is to have a relationship with God, not, not have, you know, philosophical debates and arguments about whether this is right or this is right. Is it science? Is it, is it the Bible? Is it, you know, because in the end, I think, I think science and Christianity can line up perfectly. Otherwise, you got wonky science or crazy Christians um, you choose. Um, so, so the big answer is, 
make it more than just knowledge. Make it more than just having that get out of hell uh, free card. It is about a relationship, and it's about loving the community. To your point about kind of the lukewarm in the middle, I mean, I know, as Kim was saying before, there are seasons in life where life hits you, and you feel like your activity for God um, gets pulled back into kind of reserve. And I understand when people get there um, that there's kind of a tough spot to be in. But in the other respect, God invited us, Jesus, when he was here, invited people to join a revolution, to join something amazing that was going to transform the world. And if you guys don't know, Christianity is transforming the world, even today. It is bigger than it has ever been. Um, there are more amazing things happening because faith is going out than ever before. In fact, within our lifetimes, in this uh, very next 20, 30 years, we could actually have the Bible and the message of Jesus given to every people group that exists, every language, every group of people. There's no longer going to be any, anybody isolated. And that's exciting. That's really exciting. There are more uh, Spanish-speaking Christians than English-speaking Christians. There are more Chinese-speaking Christians than English-speaking Christians. The world is largely being shaped by faith. Our world has largely been shaped by faith. Hospitals and school systems, all of that comes out of the influence of Christianity. And I would just say, if you could look at the big picture and really see what God is up to in this world, I think you would, you would be shaken out of your lukewarmness. And you would dive in to what, not just what to believe, but what to do. Because God is actively working in this world, and he wants you to be actively working in this world. And if you get involved, if you let something break your heart, that lukewarmness won't last that long. It really, it very rarely lasts that long if you get into a place where you're serving. In 2 Timothy 3.16, and this goes back to um, talking about the truth of Scripture, it says that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. So it says that all scripture is inspired by God. I think that's, for me, a great place to start when people say, well, you know, I don't, some of that sounds pretty far-fetched, you know, like killing giants with stones and slingshots and living in the belly of a whale and, you know, blah, blah. Well, all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is truth. All truth is God's truth. And so I think sometimes we just um, we have to start at the place of knowing that what God tells us is absolutely 100% true. Every word written in this book has been protected by him um, throughout time and history. There are manuscripts that prove that what is written here is true. And so I know sometimes it can seem overwhelming and kind of crazy, but I promise you, if God has protected his work, his words through years and years and so many people and writers and events and wars and fires and catastrophes, and he has preserved it for us here today, you can bet your life on the fact that it is true. I, I remember being in a place where I, I was concerned with the same thing. In fact, somebody asked the question this way. Um, do you believe that with absolute certainty that God exists? What if I presented a tremendous amount of evidence to show that God didn't exist or that Jesus didn't rise from the dead? What would it take to change your mind about Christianity? Um, I've been the skeptic. Dave, you've been the skeptic. I, I would say I've dug really, really deep. Uh, in fact, I can read Greek and Hebrew. I can read the original manuscripts that the Bible's written in. I have pictures of original manuscripts that, um, that I've been able to read and interpret. I've dug pretty deep in terms of faith. And I would tell you, there are, there's always somebody out there with some great argument that makes it sound like you can discredit Christianity. But I would say of all the faiths out there, Christianity is so incredibly well testified to. The resurrection of Jesus is so hard to disprove. 
um, that, uh, that I think it's ludicrous. And I think most people who, with authenticity, really dig into, um, is this a faith built on facts? I would say, especially in terms of, did Jesus exist? Did he say what he said? And did he rise from the dead? I would say you're going you're gonna to prove Christianity right, not wrong. And, um, and like I said, there's always somebody out there with a really brilliant sounding argument to the contrary. But most of those arguments, when you begin to pick them apart, they fall apart pretty quickly. It's just, it's hard sometimes to see through the de- details. And some of us don't want to go that deep, uh, honestly, um, and dig through looking at manuscripts and stuff. But I did. I was a skeptic who wanted to dig deep. And everything that I found pointed me back at Christianity, not away. Yeah, and to bounce on that, uh, the, to be honest, it was actually the opposite question that kind of uh, plays more to my character. See, I was an atheist for 10 years. I wasn't just an atheist. I was like the atheist. I knew all the arguments. Uh, I still, you know, like spend a lot of my uh, free time, you know, learning up on what's new with quantum theory and uh, or quantum mechanics and, you know, relativity. And, you know, like I, I'm a very science oriented person. Um, and here's the thing. The question that would have been asked me, you know, four or five years ago would have been, what will it take to prove to you that God exists? I was so sold that God did not exist, that, you know, uh, in, in that, that everything was just, you know, this, this imaginate, you know, imagination that, that people have been, you know, uh, buying into for so long. And, and I was, you know, I was determined that that was the case. Um, but what, what nobody can argue is the experience that I had mm-hmm. on August 14th of 2011, whenever I came into this building, I sat in a chair right back there, um, you know, close to the back row where, where I, you know, wasn't going to be seen and nobody would know that I even existed. And I sat there and I had argument after argument after argument in my head as to why I should not be in this building. And every time I would think about something, every time I would think of the reason I need to get up and walk out and I need to leave, the man from stage, Chris Edmondson, would say something. The guy that does not know I exist, the guy that does not know what's going through my head, doesn't even know that I'm in the building would say something that would debate, that would go completely against, word for word, what I was thinking. Now, in that moment, I realized that there was something speaking through Chris to me. And so nobody can debate that that did not happen for me. And so my, 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 my answer to you is yes, I 100% believe. It's not a faith. It's not even really a belief. It's I know that God exists. And now it's up to me to make science work with that, in my opinion, because I'm still very tied to the science, uh, science side of, of, of things. So, um, so, yes, I will say that God does exist. And I love what you said there, Dave. Um, for all of us, I think, um, there are personal encounters with God that are more convincing than, um, than the other side of it, than the facts. I think the facts are very helpful. I think you can find stories like the famous one is C.S. Lewis, who dug through facts and converted himself to Christianity because he couldn't, he couldn't get away from what he thought was solid proof. Um, but, um, but ultimately for us, it all comes down to personal experiences because it's a personal relationship with God. That's what we invite people into. In fact, somebody asked the question about sharing your faith. Um, you know, you can witness to random people, but I believe the biggest impact is when you invest in people's lives. Know and, get, and invite them into God's story. And I would say that's a very true comment that... There are random encounters with people where you're talking to them about faith, and there are relationships you build talking to people about faith. And I think both matter. But ultimately, whether it's a random encounter or it's a personal uh, a relationship where we're becoming friends, to me, the thing I usually share and talk about when I'm talking about faith is just my personal experience. 
with God. It's how I came to faith and what God has done in my life and what I see him doing in the world. It's not so much, um, you know, why is the Bible reliable? We can touch that ground, but most of the time it's the personal story that matters. And when you have 10 or 15 seconds with somebody, but they want to talk about faith, usually what I leave them with is, God changed my life, and I believe he'll do that for you as well, if you'll just give him a chance to. And one of my strengths is, is talking to people about anything, and, and that's fun. I enjoy that. Like, I enjoy talking to people that I don't know. It's fun. I get that not everybody's like that. And so sharing my faith with people I don't know, and there's, there's been two sharing your faith questions, and I guess my encouragement would be, like, to test it. Uh, do you feel the need to share your story of the gospel with somebody? Because where I'm not a military strategist, but I would argue that no military is going to recruit for the opposite side. Like, we're not recruiting for the enemy. So wouldn't it be the same spiritually in spiritual warfare that the enemy, like, Satan is not never going to tell you to share Jesus with somebody. That's not going to happen. That's just not smart. And if you have the desire and the urge to share the gospel or to share your story with somebody, whether you know them or not, I would argue that that, that is the prompting of the Holy Spirit and, and God telling you to do that. Mm. So then the follow-up question would be, will you be faithful to that prompting? So I would encourage you, if you feel the need to share the gospel with anybody, share it. Like Do it. It would be fun. There's a question here, it's a fun one. Do you think we're nearing the age of Jesus' return? Matthew 25 describes and tells of signs of the times. It tells us that when the good news is preached uh, throughout the whole world and all the nations hear it, then the end will come. I, I, I can't think of how many hundreds of languages the, the, the good news has not been preached in. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I mean, look at India. How many languages and how many nationalities, quote-unquote, are even in that, that country in itself. Yeah, thousands. Uh, you know, nearly a billion people or over a billion people live there. So thousands of nations have not heard uh, the word yet. So no, <laughs> uh, I don't. Um, the fact is we're all probably going to be long dead before the end times come. Mm. So. Well, to your point, I think it can, it can, God can let this go another thousand or 10,000 years if he wants to. Um, I think churches run into a lot of more problems when they try to say it's coming soon. Um, than when they don't. In fact, a lot of church denominations, if you don't know this, um, uh, have started from somebody predicting they knew the date. When I was in seminary in 2012, there was a guy who uh, was on the radio and saying he knew the date. And he got this huge following together, and May something 2012 came, and the end didn't come, but he still had this following that he had gathered together. So I think we try to stay away from anything that would sound like a prediction or it's coming soon because we don't want to put people on fear. But I think you have to be ready. And to me, honestly, my gut reaction is yes. If we get the word to all the nations, then I'm going to get more afraid than I am now because I really do feel like that is what holding what is holding God back from the incoming. But I don't think he's in a rush to bring it. And I don't know what he's doing. We don't know his plan. Ultimately, it could be a long time since. The, the world is doesn't always look great, and from our standpoint in the U.S., we get a lot of negative news about where the country's going, but ultimately, there are more Christians today than there have ever been. So would God end it? I don't know. I mean, it's, to honestly, from his perspective, it's probably a more positive time than it's ever been. So I don't know that he's in a rush right now to end it. 
for a fun fact, uh, uh, Isaac Newton, the guy who you know created calculus and discovered mm. gravity and that kind of thing, uh, he predicted the end times of being the year 2062, I believe. Wow. Uh, so some of us might be around for that. You are a science geek, Dave yeah. Thompson. Thank you. <laughs> Well, and, and being faithful to um, keep us in the word, because I always want us to be a place where whatever we speak about from stage, you can go home and put your face in the word and see it for yourself. And so in Matthew twenty four thirty six, it says, however, no one knows the day or the hour mm, when these things you. will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the son himself, only the father knows. And I'll be honest, as a child growing up, this was probably one of the scariest subjects mm. of my life. Um, having the great um, fortune of growing up in church and in a Christian family, and even as a young child hearing, you know, nobody knows the time, the day, the hour when God's going to come back and the heavens are going to open up and descend with a shout, you know, all the things that we hear about. And there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and people are going to rise up. And I mean, I, I was just always so scared about it. And I think what you said earlier, um, it also says in scripture that God does not want us to live in fear. He does not want us to um, live in a spirit of worry and fear and fretting. God's love for us and his great compassion for us help cover over that fear. So I think if you find yourself in a place where you feel worried about that, to number one, pray through it, of course, um, but also understand that God's out of his love for us, um, that he, he doesn't want us to be afraid of those things because it's the fulfillment of the promise that we have in scripture. Um, so realizing that God is bigger than those events and that his love and compassion for us have already covered us at, when he forgave our sins and when we came into relationship with Jesus. That's great, Kim. Thank you for sharing that. And the, the verse as well is so comforting. I, um, I think the other thing that kind of defines that is we, the church is not meant to exist as the group of people taking shelter for when Jesus comes back. Right. The church is meant to be the place where people are loved so much better than the world can love and where love pours out of the church into the community and is transformative. And if we want people to think of one church as anything, it's not a huddle of people waiting for the end to come. It's a group of people transforming our community and making this as close to a heaven on earth as possible right. in the time that we have. Uh, so as a last question, um, we got one that says, uh, do we take the Bible's guidelines on divorce literally? Uh, there are so many Christians who divorce and remarry against the Bible's teaching. Um, and, you know, of course, this is saying that any divorce not concerning adultery. Um, and, you know, short answer is yes. Uh, we, we do take that literally. Whenever me and my wife got married, before we made the decision to get married, we prayed and we decided that divorce simply was not an option. Um, that under no circumstance, now you can say I'm naive, you can say I'm young, and that's fine, um, but I'm going to hold to that. Uh, we, we decided that a while back. It's even stronger now that I have a child. Um, we simply are not going to divorce. Now, here's my thing. Like anything else, any other guideline, anything else that we hold in the Bible, we know and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna suggest the ideal. We're going we're gonna to promote the ideal. But if you're here and you're a divorcee, we're going to accept what's real. You know, we love you. We're glad you're here. Uh, and, and we're never going to judge you or make you feel bad about that. But me personally, as, as you know, in my marriage, divorce is not an option. Well, I had to sit with a couple um, about two years ago. And it was one of the hardest conversations I've had as a pastor. We were at my home, not in an office, because they were friends. And, um, and they were facing this. And uh, I, the thing I hate to do, I pulled the Bible out and I, I showed them what God's ideal was. 
because I felt like there was nothing that was going to make them happier than sticking to God's ideal. But I also knew that the ideal was incredibly difficult for them to stick to and that I wasn't making that decision. They were. And it wasn't my job to stop the friendship or to run them out of the church because they chose to do something that maybe isn't God's ideal. It was to love them. And so we cried together and we loved on them and hugged them. And I keep, they've since PCS, but I keep up with, um, with both of them on Facebook. And, um, and in fact, uh, they commented last week about the Q&A, but I just, um, we love people and we want to love people and help them live as close to God's ideal as possible. But we realize in the real world, in the way that things are going, sometimes you can't sustain the ideal. And, uh, and we're not here to judge you for that. We're here to support you and to help you, again, stick as close as possible to that. We believe that God's ideal is the best ticket to happiness. It's the best ticket to joy in this life. Um, but it's not always, not always what we can do. And we're not here to make people feel guilty. And the biggest thing is we're not here to hold non-Christians to God's ideal either. So uh, I had that conversation in, in the context of faith. But if someone stands outside belief in Jesus, I'm not really worried about God's moral standards nearly as much as I'm worried about where they stand with Jesus. And so I'm not even going to have a conversation with, like that with someone who's not a Christian. I'm going to have a conversation about faith. And when they find faith, then we'll have a conversation about what God would want for them. But they've got to get on God's team first. Uh, and that's, um, that's the most important thing. If I convince somebody divorce is wrong but they, they still end up eternally separated from God, that's a loss on my part. I would rather, um, I'd rather help them find a relationship with Jesus and not ever agree with me on something like divorce. Because in the end, we go both go to heaven and God will figure the rest out when we get there. So, well, guys, we've, we've been able to address your questions for a few minutes. This isn't the end. I pray that if we said something that you want to hear more about, you invite us to conversation. I hope you feel a connection with somebody on stage. Because we come from different perspectives and different personalities. Um, but as we end today, we want to take a moment to worship and let you process what you've heard and invite you guys to continue that conversation long beyond today. Michael, would you mind praying for us as we close? Jesus, thank you for this day. Jesus, thank you that you are bigger than our questions and our doubts. Um, and that where we may not have an answer, that you are the answer. Thank you so much that uh, we can just come to you and we can have the opportunity to um, submit to you and your word. Um, Jesus, thank you that you love us and that you died for us. Um, we pray in your name. Amen.